Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvik. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Zambig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about demons, or poltergeists, or kobolds, or something. Let's just talk. Oof, I gotta tell you, this medication is screwing with my body. But, what medication? What? What's he talking about? Don't worry, I'll get to that in a moment. But first... As always, we have shout-outs. Shout-outs going out to the patrons. Uh, patrons, let me know if you want to get the episodes 24 hours before the actual show or if you're just happy that it comes out or, you know, whatever makes you happy. I'm just trying to make you happy. If I make you happy... Yeah, that you know what I'm saying. Shout-outs going out to Cobalt Slayer 42 Lori, Alicia, Rebecca, Esteban, and Steven. Oh, I got to say... Well, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Jennifer, Heather G., this user is totally not a skinwalker. Repeat, this user is totally not a skinwalker. Zuzus, what's it? Nico Share and the Mouse, Mark Tortuga, Hannah Boo, Mike from Jersey, Jay Bizzle, Andy, Tracy, Virginia, Tony, Jason, Vicky, Crow, Clay Buzz, Lobita Works, Isabel, Jen Jen, Stacy, Amber, Tracy, Kelly Joe, Menace the Beast, Sandy, Paige, Couch, Bentman, 666, Andrew, Scott, Andrea, Melody, Vicky, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Alicia, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties. Elizabeth, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Ricardo, Ian, Alexandra, George, Seth, Zozo the Demon, Hayden, Cindy, Ashley, Gary, Robin, Will, Lauren, Russell, April, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Jerry, Lindsay, Jeff T, Joe, Lawrence, the Lawrence Strawn. It's her birthday today. Also, happy Paranormal Day. I'll say that again in a second. Veronica Autumn, J. Mark Manning, Carolyn Jade, Nanashi Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Laura Pitts, and the one, the only gamer fan with two special shout-outs going out to Joe Teague and a stitch. And if you didn't skip ahead, you just heard me say two things. One, a very special happy birthday today. Oh, not that one. Nope, not that one. Nope. I guess it's just that one. All right. This is going to be clapping. A very special happy birthday to the Lauren Strong. Also, it's National Paranormal Day. So I had to get an episode out. I will say, um, just give you kind of like a behind the scenes look at what's happening right now. It's an evening. 5-3-2023. Or if you're in every other part of the world, 3-5-2023, uh, it's, it's National Paranormal Day. Tomorrow is May the 4th. So, you know, if you celebrate that, that Star Wars holiday, you know, good on you. Uh, but I'm waiting for a guest to arrive for the next episode. Jean Saint Laurent. That's right. Jean Saint Laurent is my guest for the next episode. He's a buddy of mine, and uh, he's got a story to tell that I don't know what the story is. It's going to be very interesting. I don't know what's about to happen. But, so I got to record this episode. Then he's going to get here. We'll probably, you know, shoot the crap for a couple of hours and then uh, record his episode and then he'll take off and then I'll be tired and I got the day job. So I doubt this episode will get out today like I planned it. But just know that it was recorded on National Paranormal Day and the Lauren Strong's birthday. But yeah, so next week's episode, or the next episode, I think it's going to be next week's episode, um, is going to be an interview, or not interview, it's really just a, you know, story time. It's going to be a buddy of mine coming over, telling me a story that he's told me about, that he had. He's told me about he had it. I've not heard this actual story, but he's like, hey man, I got this paranormal story that I'd like to tell sometime. And I'm like, cool, save it for the show. Which is what I, I start to tell people all the time now, because I want it to be fresh and, you know, honest, you know, replies. So, save it for the show. So, um... I have no idea. I know roughly what it's going to be about. It has to deal with, you know, the fact that he's in the industry in, in, in Hollywood, working in the movie industry and TV industry. And I'm I'm assuming it's a paranormal encounter because if it's not, 
why the hell are you telling this story on this podcast? That story on this podcast. But my guess is it'll be a paranormal story because he's that kind of guy. So very interested to see what's going to happen later tonight. Uh, that's going to be coming up later. This episode, I'm just rambling at this moment. Uh, this episode is going to have a lot of fun stuff on it, too. It's an episode that I actually had written a while ago, and then I got uh, injured. What? No. That's right. The one, the only, the lovely rum decided to find out what would happen if she kicked me square in the eyeball. Not the face, but just square in the right eyeball, jumping up while I was laying down watching TV. Just started to watch Succession. It's a great show. You should watch it. No spoilers. I was just starting to watch Succession. Bam! Kicked in the eye. Saw, you know, like little starbursts and crap. And I was like, oh, this is bad. Well, you know, how bad could it be? She's a tiny, tiny dog, skinny legs, tiny paw. It should be okay. 10 o'clock, I went to bed. This isn't okay. I'm, I'm going to try and tough it out because if I go to a, if I go to a, you know, an ER at uh, 10 o'clock at night, I'm just going to sit there all night. And, um, and then I went to an ER and I walked down two miles. I walked over to an ER and uh, I sat there all night in an ER. The woman that was in the room next to me, first thing I asked when I got in there, I was like, ah, welcome. You're like, hey, welcome to the ER. You know, I got my eyes all swollen shut, and I'm like, I'm in pain. Um, and the guy's like, well, let me walk you to where you're going to be sitting for a while. He's like, it's going to be a little while. I was like, yeah, no problem. I'm like, hey, is this place haunted? He's like, what? No, I don't know. Come on, man. Uh, so he did not want to play along at all. Um, so they sat me down in this little room, no door, um, crappiest TV you've ever seen in your life. Uh, and then the woman in the room to my left uh, just started screaming and wailing that like like she was being stabbed in the stomach, kind of like, oh, help me, like that kind of thing. Like she's being brutally murdered. And uh, they would go in there and they would be like, hold on. Hi, Rum. Yes, I'm talking about your what you did to me. Yes, I am. Uh, so they would go in there and they'd be like, you know, she'd be like, give me pain medicine. And they'd be like, we can't give you pain medicine. You know this. You're in here every week. You know, you go to sleep in the bed, but, you know, in the morning, you've got to leave. So, obviously, sadly, something was wrong with her. But uh, even more sadly, she kept me up all goddamn night. Uh, no, it was it was pretty it was pretty brutal. Uh, my, my, my eye was killing me. I had to have them turn the light off, in, in, not in the whole hospital. I didn't, they didn't, like, operate in the dark, but just in my room. And because uh, the, the pain was just killing me. And, uh, you know, they came by every hour to give me a... Uh, uh, check my blood pressure, which surprising um, when you've been up for like 30 plus hours by that point, And there's a woman screaming bloody murder next to you. And you're in a hospital in an ER for the first time because your eye is swollen shut at this point and just throbbing pain. Uh, my, my blood pressure was pretty high. And she was like, well, your blood pressure is pretty high. And I said, yeah, I wonder why. And then she's like, well, we're going to have to give you a tetanus shot. And I'm like, well, I hate needles. So guess what? Do my blood pressure now. It's going to be even fucking higher. Oops, sorry, didn't mean to swear. Hey, you know what? I don't give a shit. It's my show. Who cares? You know what? I apologize. For those that, that would like love to share this show with their child with their children, um, there's there's programs where you can download the podcast and then just bleep it out yourself. Bleep it out yourself. Come on. If you want me as a guest on a uh, TV show, I cannot swear. It is possible. I can go a full hour without swearing, but you know what? I'm not gonna police myself on my own show, Dag Nabbit. Um See, so yeah, my was fucking killing me. And I was like, well, I hate needles. This is going to really suck. And uh, anyhow, uh, long story long, uh, they said, yeah, you know what? You, it looks like a dog kicked you in the eye. And I said, yep, that's what happened. A dog kicked me in the eye. And they're like, well, what happened with the dog? I'm like, she's fine. She's at home sleeping. Are you kidding me? Like, she, she's the best. Don't even worry about her. I didn't even, like, yell at her. I literally was like, I'm sorry. I got to go. This is going to be overnight. I'm sorry. And uh, so they, they said, well, you know, not much we can do. It's really bad. They call, they call it a huge corneal abrasion, which are three words that, well, two words. I don't mind hearing huge, but corneal abrasion. Like if a girl said, wow, you've got a huge, the last thing I want to hear from this point forward would be corneal abrasion. But that's what the woman said to me. Uh, that's right. The doctor was a woman. Um, so, uh, you know, take that. Crappy people. I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, so they said, yep, yeah, huge corneal abrasion. You got to go see an ophthalmologist. So they gave me some medication or prescriptions. So I walked over, got my prescription filled. Then I walked back to the ophthalmologist. By that time, it was 8 a.m. the next morning, and the ophthalmologist just opened. And she's like, yeah, we can see you in like 45 minutes if you want to just 
wait a little bit. I'm like, well, I, I have to walk everywhere. I can't can't drive, can't see, so I'll I'll come over now. Ophthalmologist took a look at it and uh, kind of agreed. Said, yeah, it's a huge uh, corneal abrasion. So they had to give me an emergency uh, surgery because what had happened was that it's uh, rums claw or paw or whatever managed to peel back my, I think lens, either lens, cornea, I don't know. I, I, I blanked out as soon as I heard the word peeled back, basically peeled back my eyeball. And uh, so they had to put it back over and then they gave me like two little like zaps to like seal it in place or whatever. And then they gave me a contact eye patch. Basically it's a contact lens that you keep in your eye for seven days. And uh, I had to have that removed. So that's what I did today. So that's what's happening. That's why I didn't do an episode because I couldn't see. I couldn't look at a screen. Um, I was supposed to go to Vegas for a friend's birthday. Unfortunately, I couldn't fly because of the surgery. And I was on antibiotics. So I couldn't have been able to drink. I couldn't go outside because it killed my eye. So I basically just sat in my house in the dark and watched all of the money leave me that I just spent on all these fun trips and stuff. Anywho, so that's where we're at. So now you're all caught up. That's where I am now. Um, eyes feeling better. I went today to to the eye doctor. It's not good, but it's not bad. That's what he said. That's, again, not something you want to hear from an eye doctor. But there you have it. Uh, so I'll keep you posted on what the uh, what's going on with the eye. Don't worry. It's I'm sure there's not going to be much more updates, but, you know, who knows? All righty, what do we got on the what do we got on the agenda first? Well, first I want to thank I got uh, I did manage to since I had some time I walked down and got my mail, um, you know since I can't drive and I want to thank Russell, and I want to thank Mister and Mrs. Cher and the mouse. The mouse actually sent a card to Rum Care of Kurt. Absolutely freaking beautiful. And then Tracy Simonic as well sent me a card. So I got a it was a really good. Uh, mail day made me feel better because, you know, I was feeling kind of down in the dumps and then, you know, boom, I got some cool mail day. But uh, so thank you everybody that uh, sent me something. If you want to send me something, you can. Um, you can send it to Kurt or Paranormal Almanac, 1812 West Burbank Boulevard, number 7102, Burbank, California, 91506. And if you need that address again, hit rewind. All righty, let's move on. Let's keep going. We're going to do a giveaway. And I know what you're thinking, but Kurt, you haven't even mailed out the last giveaway because you suck. That is true. Everything you're saying is 100% true. I do suck, and I have not mailed those out. Um, I toyed with walking all the way down to the mailbox with hands of fates, but I just couldn't do it. Sorry. I'm getting them. I will get them out to you. I promise you, and I'll make it up to you. I'll send you all kinds of stuff, stickers and coins. I don't know. I'll give you guys something, or maybe I'll 3D print out something for you special because I feel terrible. I really do, but... This next giveaway that I'm about to talk about isn't going to be coming from me. Oh, no siree, Bob. It's going to be coming from tpublic.com. That's right. tpublic.com wants to do a little giveaway for all of the awesome Paranormal Almanac shirts and all the ones that you guys have bought. You can go to tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac. You'll see all the merch. There's a bunch of new merch. There's a couple of they might be giant shirts because why the hell not? But... They said, uh, this is what they said. They say, hey, Kurt, would you like to do a, a giveaway? And I said, I would love to do a giveaway. That would be awesome. And they said, oh, that'd be great. Well, here's the deal. We're going to give away two shirts to two winners. So two people can win a free freaking shirt, Paranormal Almanac shirt, from Tee Public. I, I think that is so awesome. Uh, Kate from Tee Public, who helps me out quite a bit all the time, Absolutely fantastic. And she said, I'm happy to provide two t-shirts for two different winners. Let me know when you announce the giveaway. I'm announcing it now, Kate. Uh, so yeah, you guys, um, all you have to do is there's going to be a keyword. There's going to be a keyword or key phrase in this week's episode. And I'll tell you what that keyword is. The winning word, the phrase that pays. And when you hear... The phrase that pays. You're going to email me, paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. And boom, you're entered. You are entered in to the giveaway. Okay, I just typed it out. I waited till just now to type out the phrase that pays. I'm not saying it yet. You're going to listen to this whole episode, or, or maybe it'll be 
Maybe it'll be backwards at the end. That'd be messed up. I won't do that. Um, but that would be funny. But no, so there's going to be a phrase that pays. All you have to do is email me that phrase that pays. You're going to be instantly entered into the T Public Paranormal Almanac giveaway. tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac. And it's not just shirts. I get stickers delivered and there's, you know, those masks and tote bags and art prints and uh, buttons and, you know, you name it. They can do it. It's freaking awesome. And if you also have an idea for a shirt, if you said, you know, like, Kurt, I would buy one of your shirts, but they're all stupid. This is what I would like. Send that to me, paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. Maybe I will make that shirt. And I'm making constantly. I'm constantly making new shirts because, you know, I need shirts to wear and I don't mind wearing my own merch. All righty, with that uh, out of the way, I think it's so awesome. Once again, wait for the phrase that pays. Not happening now. Don't call in now. I need you to text one for two and yes for no. All righty, so um, that's a that's a butchered Paul F. Tompkins joke. Um, it's text one for two and two for yes. I forget how he says it. He says it way better than I did. But let's get right in into paranormal news. Paranormal news. Oh, hey, how, how long do I have to, to send you this? The month of May. This contest will be going for the month of May. So you've got, uh, it's only the, the uh, what is it today? The third. My God, I've already lost count of what day it is. It's the third of the month. So you have a full month to email me the phrase that pays when I say it. And I'll make it very obvious. Don't worry. Uh, so anyhow, welcome to Paranormal News. The first story in Paranormal News, historian seeks... Tyneside UFO Society descendants. A historian is trying to find descendants of a society that collected that collected hundreds of UFO sightings or reports in Tyneside. And I'm sure I'm not saying Tyneside right. It's probably like Tinny City, but it looks like Tyneside. Neil Story founded Tyneside UFO Society Archives. Oh, found the Tyneside UFO Society Archives while researching in Newcastle Library. Mr. Story, an a social historian who lectures internationally, I guess so do I. I mean, I'm a the world's first paro influencer. Uh, he said that there were hundreds of eyewitness accounts between the, the dates of 1950s and the 1970s. So if you happen to live there, Mr. Story, who has written books on the subject, including crime and World War II spies, said he had an open mind about UFOs and was not trying to prove nor disprove anything. He said there was a real surge in UFO sightings in the wake of World War II when many RAF pilots and observers reported seeing unexplainable phenomena. There are things in the skies we cannot explain. The quest for what they are continues. He said that experts had analyzed some of the pictures in the TUFO's archives, and while some could be explained, for example, some had thrown an object into the air to be photographed. That was very big back in the day. Mostly it was hubcaps. Uh, there were eerie, or there was an eerie-looking lenticular cloud. Others, he said, could not be explained. He said in one photo in particular, taken over, over Pallion in Sunderland in the late 1950s or early 1960s, was of special interest, adding, that's the one I think is strange. He said he's trying to track down members of the TUFO, but failed, uh, adding he was very uh, specially keen to speak to descendants of the society secretary, Harry Lord, who cataloged many of the witness statements, as well as writing articles for the society magazine, Orbit. So if you are a, a descendant of Harry Lord or know someone who's a descendant of Harry Lord, this guy's trying to find you. I think it's kind of cool. I like that when people are like trying to deep dive into something that was probably just a throwaway thing 10 years ago. Up next in paranormal news, UFO, Bigfoot research, stories shared at Westmoreland Conference. 50 years or more, 50 years or more ago, Pat Desmond saw a ball of light moving low through the air near his, oh, Jesus Christ, Kurt, start over. Nope. 50 years or more ago, Pat Desmond saw a ball of light moving low through the air near her Washington County home. Ever since, she's been seeking information about such unexplained phenomena and sharing stories of sightings with like-minded folks. And that was the case Saturday, April 29th at the 15th Annual Pittsburgh UFO Conference. 
I think that's cool. That's pretty much it. She was just wanted to try. There was a bunch of stories done. Pittsburgh UFO Conference. More and more of these conferences are happening, people. If you got one in your area, go to them. Guaranteed to be entertaining at the very least. Up next in Paranormal News, what happens when we find aliens? The Pentagon has a plan. And more space stories you may have missed. Let's see, uh, Starship test flights. Uh, no, I don't care about SpaceX explosions. Don't care about that. The Pentagon says it hasn't found aliens, but it does have a plan just in case. On Wednesday, the Senate Armed Service Committee met with the guy in charge of keeping track of UFOs for the Pentagon, Sean Kirkpatrick, head of the Department of Defense All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or ARO, testified that, yes, there have been indeed numerous documented sightings of unidentified aerial phenomena. He said, in our research, Arrow has found no credible evidence thus far of extraterrestrial activity. Bullshit. However, there is a plan in place if alien activity is ever discovered. In the event sufficient scientific data were ever obtained that a UAP encountered could only be explained by extraterrestrial origins, we are committed to working with our interagency partners at NASA to appropriately inform the U.S. government's leadership of its findings. Yeah, so basically, yeah, if we find out, we're going to tell other people in the government about it, not like we're going to let you guys know, because that's the government for you. Up next, Paranormal News, Forest County, Pennsylvania, to host Bigfoot Festival. Hell yeah. I got some paramaniacs in Pennsylvania. I think uh, Tracy, yeah, Tracy Simonic is uh, in Pennsylvania. Maybe she's going to this. I don't know. Hi, Rum. How are you, sweetheart? I'm not mad at you. Still not mad at you. Still love you. Don't worry. Always will. Uh, interested in all things, I gotta read, I'm sorry, I love you, but you can't, I, I, I gotta read. Interested in all things Bigfoot? There's a festival for you in northwestern Pennsylvania. The Forest County Bigfoot Festival is scheduled for June 9th through the 11th in Marionville. Uh, does it get a price? Let's see, does it, nope, nope, no price. Alright, so, uh, if you want information, check that one out. If you're in the area, definitely check it out. Up next in Paranormal News, I'm gonna start picking up the pace here. This Day in History... Well, technically, yesterday in history. Loch Ness Monster, not a monster, sighting reported for the first time. That's right. On May 2nd, 1933, the Nessie phenomena began. Kurt wasn't even a glimmer in his granddaddy's eye, but boy, still, I guarantee you, no matter where I was prior to this horrific one-eyed existence I'm in now, I guarantee you I was interested in Nessie on May 2nd, 1933. They said a local newspaper printed a couple story about seeing the creature in the water. In the newspaper reported by the Inverness Courier, the couple claimed to have seen an enormous animal rolling and plunging on the surface. Interest in the story of the monster, quote-unquote, as the newspaper called it, steadily grew and eventually became a media sensation. But... That's not the earliest, as you know, if you listen to my Loch Ness, my Nessie episode. There were references to Nessie all the way back to 500 AD. But they say the legend of the beast didn't gain international attention until May 2nd, 1933. That is cool. 90 years and counting. I love it. All right, let's move on. Up next in paranormal news, heir to the land. Oh, God, no. Back off. I'm trying to read. Go away. Heir to the land of the rising sun who hunted the Loch Ness Monster for fun. What? Why is it Loch now? 40 years ago, the future emperor of Japan went to the highlands to find Nessie. And that's when the article locked up on me. So as you know, if they want me to pay, I'm moving on. I'm giving you guys free press by reading these for you guys. And you guys are doing that to me? No, I don't think so. Moving on. Although that was a very cool one. I like the idea of some, like heir to the throne was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find Nessie. All right, up next is a YouTube video that I've been wanting to watch. Reportedly took place in February off the coast of North Carolina. Came to light this week when video of the odd incident was submitted to MUFON. According to the witness, a, there was a sudden appearance of a bright orb of light in the sky outside the plane. Shortly thereafter, the UFO was joined by a second or a third light, uh, Disbursing into the original, forming a triangle or, or other erratic trajectories. All righty. The witness goes on to say that the objects, which ultimately increased to five in total, would appear and disappear over the course of 20 minutes. And here it is. All right. I get to watch it. So let's turn this up. Oh. 
Oh, for some reason you guys can't hear that anymore. What is that about? Huh. Well, hold on a second, guy. I don't know why. I, I, I changed some setting, and I really don't know what setting I changed, but now whenever I try to play something, um, you guys can't hear it anymore. Oh, all righty, let's try this. All right, all I see is black so far and maybe a dot. They're moving. They're moving. All right, I can't see anything. I'm going to I'm going to say thank you but no thank you. Uh I mean there's tiny tiny dots in the sky but that's about it. Um that was my next guest, Jean Saint Laurent, saying that he's on his way. Which I hope so cuz he's supposed to be here soon. All righty, let's see. Let's move on to the next one because I can't I I didn't really see anything in that video. It's not even worth sharing on on the Facebook fan page. Uh, next one, UFO landing reported to Texas cops. A sheriff's department in Texas responded to a bizarre call over the weekend after residents reported seeing a UFO landing in a field. According to a post on the Facebook page of the Collin County Sheriff's Office, they received a number of calls regarding an unidentified craft which sported multicolored lights. Love it. But got lots to get to, so I'm going to move on to the next one. This next one. From GhostbustersNews.com. Hell yeah, buddy. Um, yes, I, I do keep an eye on GhostbustersNews.com on a fairly regular basis. I'm a huge Ghostbusters fan. And this one had a little bit of everything. Dan Aykroyd stays at a reportedly haunted hotel in Scotland. Uh, with rumors swirling around that the stars of the original Ghostbusters will return yet again in the upcoming sequel. It's not rumors. It's, they are. They're filming it in England. Dan Aykroyd was confirmed to be in Scotland earlier this week, staying at a reportedly haunted hotel. The Culloden House, the Culloden House Hotel, noted Aykroyd's stay on their Facebook page, writing, We've had the pleasure of Dan Aykroyd and family staying with us last night. What a delight. Uh, let's see. Let's get to this. Okay. In the photo, Aykroyd's signature reads, Thank you for the delightful and historical stay. Um... And he, he actually signed it, uh, Dan Aykroyd, April 2024. So he also time-traveled as well. The house and surrounding areas believed to be haunted by the ghost of Bonnie Prince Charlie, who requisitioned Culloden House as his lodging and battlefield headquarters in 1746. Said to be the apparition of a tall man fully dressed in tartan, the ghostly figure has been seen on several occasions. That's flippin' cool. All right, moving on. What's next? Oh, next one, haunted real estate. As you guys know, I absolutely love haunted real estate. And for a hot minute, I was like, oh my God, this place is beautiful, because it is. It's 6342 Mulholland Way in Los Angeles. That's 6342 Mulholland Way in Los Angeles. It's up for sale right now. Nine bedrooms, six baths, 10,000 square feet for $21 million. But it's haunted. Built in the 1920s, Castilla del Lago, as it's called, was the 1930s home of gangster Bugsy Siegel, who used it as a secret casino and possible secret execution spot. The mansion was later owned by Madonna in the 1990s, now owned by a fashion designer, Leon Max. Uh, let's see. Fashion photographers that have shot there report that all of their photos turned out black. And uh, like I said, Bugsy Siegel, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to look it up right now because I don't want to lie to you was murdered, was executed in that house. Oh, that's why they said possible secret execution spot. But it's not possible. It's not even secret. Um, let me go to his death and confirm that for you real quick. Cause of death, gunshot wounds. Yes. All right. Love it. That's how I like to do it. Um, where's his death? No. On the night of June 20th, 1947, a seagull sat with his associate in Virginia Hill's Beverly Hills home, reading the Los Angeles Times, an unknown assailant fired at him through the window with a 30 caliber military M1 carbine, hitting him many times, including twice in the head. Spoiler, he died. Um, so it wasn't that house. It was just the house that he lived in. I thought he died in that house as well. But they, uh, there are a bunch of people that do say that he used that house to execute people or execute his enemies. So if you have... An extra $21 million. You should probably have at least 30 because you're going to have to pay a lot of money in taxes every year. It's right underneath the Hollywood sign. If you ever go to 
the um, Mulholland Lookout, which is like the best place to see the Hollywood sign if you're a tourist, unless you want to, you know, hike up there. It's right over the Hollywood Bowl. You overlook the Hollywood Bowl and right across the, the road, the freeway, is the Hollywood sign. And just below it is this gorgeous, gorgeous house, the clock tower and everything. It is freaking awesome looking. I had never seen inside. The staircase is absolutely beautiful. The design is really intense. It's really pretty. It is gorgeous. And then it gets kind of gaudy. There's a, uh, like a, a screening room, I guess, or maybe even a bedroom that looks like you're just, it looks like the blanket fort from Community, if you ever watched the TV show Community. Um, it's just a weird, weirdly designed $21 million house. But uh, with that, as you know, I love a good um, haunted house. So I suppose if you guys want to buy that for me, I'll live there and I'll do, I'll throw parties there and do episodes out of there. But you know, you don't have to, but if you want to, but you don't have to. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. We are back. Oof, I tell you, this medication that they gave me, it's a steroid eye drop. And one of the side effects is a bad, like really bad taste in your mouth. And I'm like, well, don't put an eye drops in your mouth. You put them in your eye, dumbasses. So I did. I put the eye drop in my eye. And yeah, I've got a horrific taste. It just went bloop, right back to the back of my throat. And it is horrifically bad. So if you hear me drinking water, that's why. I apologize. I, I don't normally like to drink water on shows because I don't like the smacking sound you get after you drink water. But I, I don't know, man. I'm just trying to get through life. All right, we're back. I figured, you know what? It's been a while. It's been a while since I talked about poltergeists. And I wanted to fix that. I said, fuck that shit. I want to talk about poltergeists. So I, 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 I rang up Kurt and I said, Kurt, you got to talk about poltergeists on the next episode. And I was like, Kurt, you know what, Kurt? You're right, Kurt. I'm going to talk about poltergeists. So that's what we're going to do. Now, in case you didn't know anything about the poltergeist theory, I don't know, go back and listen to an old episode. It's right there. It's a theory I agree with, by the way, but most, if not all, poltergeist activity happens around a girl in the family that's going through puberty or the age of puberty. And every one of these, like every time I look up a poltergeist story, I'm like, waiting for it, waiting for it. There we go. So, yeah, it seems to be a pattern, and that pattern doesn't seem to change tonight because the first one comes from Nova Scotia, and we go back to 1922. Now, it was written about pretty extensively, as you'll hear about later, but uh, let me give you the short version of the story first. It's called the Mary Ellen Spook Farm, or the Fire Spook. The first part... I can't confirm, but it's said that the entire community that Mary Ellen lived in had mysterious fires. Now, I I say that, but I really can't confirm that that happened. But I'm going to go with it because every other person that writes about this story mentions that the entire community had a bunch of mysterious fires and that Mary Ellen just happened to live in one of the houses in the community. Okay, possibly. And if things couldn't get much worse than that... They also had poltergeist activity between the years of 1899 and 1922. All right, so this one goes outside the girl going through puberty age range. I get that. But the specific case puts Mary Ellen right in that age range. The case got so much press that even Arthur, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle investigated it. That is cool. All right, so, okay, on the farm, there was John and Annie McDonald. That's right. Old McDonald actually had a farm. And he had Mary Ellen, or they had Mary Ellen. And spoiler, Mary Ellen would later become adopted by Alexander and Janet McDonald. So, like I said, it's not much of a spoiler. It's not like, you know, her parents were, like, butchered by the poltergeist and she had to move in. Nothing like that. Don't worry. All right, so like I said, the poltergeist activity started occurring in the farm. The usual stuff like voices, things being thrown around or trashed, but then weirder crap. Like they would find ashes in the store milk. They would go to the store, get the milk, pop open the cap. I assume it's a cap. I don't know what they drank back in England in 1899, but I assume it was a cap. They'd open up the sealed store milk and they would find ashes in them. Then... Their livestock would be found with their tails braided 
Okay, Kurt here. That one doesn't seem so bad. Go ahead and let a poltergeist braid some cow's tails. That's kind of fun. But the livestock would also be found in different stalls than where they were left in. And on more than one occasion, they were even found locked outside the barn, all upset by something or someone. And the other thing that happened were, well, yep, a whole lot of fires. For example, in January 1922, a fire started in the part of their house that was nowhere near the flames. What I mean by that, it wasn't in like a fireplace or a wood stove or anything like that. Not that there should be just like random fires and be like, that's not where the fire goes, Mary Ellen. You put the fire in your room like a good girl. I mean, it wasn't in a fireplace and it wasn't in a wood stove. When the dad would put it out, another fire would be found in an empty room at the other end of the home. So he'd run over and he'd put that one out and another fire would spark up in another spot of the home. Case you don't have a house, that's bad. You don't want random fires just springing up everywhere throughout your house. So the fires got so bad that even wet towels and patches of wallpaper would seemingly burst into flames at random. Now, Walter Franklin Prince, who is the research officer for the American Society for Psychical Research, he came to the house and he concluded, well, he concluded that uh, the mysterious fires and, in his opinion, the poltergeist activity were all caused by Mary Ellen. But he thought she didn't know she was doing it. He thought that she was in a a dissociated state. So... Very poltergeist as well. There's a young girl, seems to be the culprit, but has no clue that they're the ones doing it. Now, his big clue, though, uh, it came when he discovered flammable liquid. Here's a fun fact. The original story said inflammable liquid. And I was like, well, that's really weird that inflammable liquid, you know, what is that? You know, inflammable and flammable mean the same damn thing. So that's stupid, right? That's seems opposite but he discovered flammable liquid and noted quote the fires were undoubtedly set by human hands judging by the unmistakable signs left in the house the burns are never found on the wallpaper higher than the reach of a person five feet tall which is the height of the girl in the family boom mary ellen firebug all right so the police and authorities also wondered who was causing all the fires So the family was actually persuaded to leave the home while authorities investigated the fires, which, by the way, stopped as soon as the family, or spoiler, Mary Ellen, was gone. So they're like, "Uh, that's weird. No fires when you guys aren't here. Definitely no fires when Mary Ellen isn't here. All right, you know what? It's cool. Come back now. We, We like you again. And boom, within six months, it all started burning again. But this time, six months later, when the police showed up, they just went and hauled off Mary Ellen, who they suspected of causing fires the entire time, and she was placed in the Nova Scotia Home for the Insane, located in Dartmouth, in case you ever wanted to go there. Uh, And she was confined there for many, many years. Then, 1922, H.B. Widden, who, by the way, also investigated Mary Ellen before she got sent off to the loony bin, Uh, He wrote an article titled, My Experiences at the McDonald Homestead. Now, I'm going to read you some of it, um, because as you know, I love when I can get information directly from that time. So for me, this is really interesting, but it is very word heavy. I mean, this guy got paid by the the syllable, actually, so I'm not going to read it all to you, but I'm going to read a little bit for you. Okay, if it comes up. Here we go. On my numerous occasions after my first two visits to Caledonia Mills, I was asked, what do you think is behind it all? What caused the fire and what or who unfastened the cows? These and similar questions were put in me in most cases by persons whom I believe to be sincerely desirous of learning the truth, if possible. Others, the frivolous, jocular type, also asked such questions. My answer invariably was, it is beyond me. The solution of the mystery may be quite simple, but to me... It is a very strange affair, and I would not offer a suggestion. So he's basically saying, I don't know. I have no idea. But uh, he spent two days and nights with Detective Carroll in the McDonald house. And he said, 
he was more mystified than ever. On the second night of our stay, we had a new experience. We heard strange noises, absolutely different from anything I'd ever heard before from the floor over our head. And shortly afterwards, I distinctly felt a blow on the flat part of my left arm above my elbow. At the time, I was satisfied that it was not my imagination because I had absolute control of myself. This blow felt distinctively through two shirts, an inside coat, a heavy sweater, a fern-lined overcoat, and a new horse rug, which was covering me. This guy was bundled up and could still feel it. He said, instantly, I knew that something entirely new and hitherto foreign to me had caused it. Um, he says, I sat up, I turned to Carol, I asked him if he had hit me. I just basically did that to satisfy, satisfy my own mind because he did not. Um, he was genuinely surprised. He was in the exact same position that I'd seen him in a moment before that I felt the blow. I asked him if he hit me. He was surprised, replied that he had not, and also that he had not even heard the strange sounds which preceded the blow, the weird stuff that was coming from the uh, the room above him or the the, the ceiling, basically. Uh, Carol explained that a second or two before I had to sit, before I had sat up and asked him if he had hit me, he had felt a pressure on his left forearm. During the 25 minutes or half an hour, which witnessed the strange sounds, the footsteps, the touch on Carol's arm, and the blow or impression on my arm, a feeling entirely new to me possessed me. A strange presence was in the house, and I was filled, I was filled with expectancy. So this guy does not think it's Mary Ellen. He's like, there's some weird shit going on in here. Let me skip ahead a little bit. He said it was a stupendous experience, which has opened up a new page in my life. My mind has been revolutionized. My conception of the unseen has altered somewhat. In other words, I was stone blind and a strange light has given me sight. As a result of this experience, even though some people will scoff and ridicule me, I feel that I must tell the world that in my humble opinion, the mysterious fires in Alexander McDonald's house and the mysterious unfastening of his cows were caused by the spirits. And he's like, I can tell you why I think that. And he went into um, some of the stuff that he had seen. Uh, let's see, Friday, uh, let's see, uh, not much happened there. He said there was weird, lying in bed in the dining room having smoke when suddenly I got up and walked in the bedroom. If my recollection is correct, I touched the doctor slightly on the shoulder and asked him if he would mind giving me a test then because he thought something weird was happening. Um, he said I felt a prickly sensation in some of the fingers on my right hand. The hand then became numb. Sounds like he's having a heart attack. Um... He said, um, the, uh, let's see, as soon as the hand became numb, before I realized what was happening, the pencil began to move slowly in that hand without any effort or intention on my part. This lasted less than a minute, probably, when it commenced to form circles. The motion became more and more rapid, and my hand simply worked like a toy top over the paper. The movement became so fast, the pressure so hard, that three sheets of paper were torn. Six sheets of paper had been covered in this manner, when the slightly slanting lines on the seventh sheet. It next formed various movements over the paper and stopped for a fraction of a minute. Then it began to write in large, peculiarly, peculiarly shaped letters. This whole experience lasted over two hours. A message seemed to be transmitted to me in this weird manner. I had no idea what was going to happen next. In fact, most of the time, I did not know what the letter was coming, what the letter was coming next. In fact, most of the time, I did not know what letter was coming next. Okay, I get it. At other times, I conjectured after the first letter was written that the word was going to be blah, blah, blah. Most of the time, I had absolutely no idea what was coming next. I had no control over my hand, which was numb. I had a feeling of numbness about my heart as well. And although I could appreciate what was transpiring, my mind seemed to be in control by some unseen power. It felt sometimes as if drawn down over the table with my eyes only four or five inches from the paper. Uh, let's see. Does it say what it said? Um... The unseen power seemed to increase its influence all the time, and less than 30 words of the message were written when my speech was even controlled by it. When statements of the greatest significance or importance were being written, it repeated every letter, and sometimes the writing stopped for a few seconds. While Dr. Prince, through my, while Dr. Prince, through my mouth, was requested to ask the communicator certain questions. Oh, I get it. So this guy was trying to talk to the, you know, like, what's going on? Uh, let's see. Um... He called the rest of the family over. You got to come see this. Come to see. Come if you want to see something you may never see again in your life. Uh, Mrs. McDonald, Mary Ellen, and Dan McGivory, some other dude, 
came immediately into the room. 26 words have been written before they came. As I recall the strange event now, I'm inclined to believe that they had entered the room just as this question was asked. First, my lips, not controlled by me, told Dr. Prince to ask, who sets the fires in Alexander McDonald's house? This was written automatically beside being asked verbally. Dr. Per- Dr. Prince asked, do you know? Instantly, yes was written. My recollection is that Dr. Prince then asked, can you tell? The answer was spirits. Dr. Prince asked why? And he said, all, all apparent attempts failed. The pencil tapped impatiently with force on the paper. Uh, then he said, he asked the following question. Did you slap Harold Winden on the arm the second night he and Mr. Carroll were in the house? The answer, yes, came instantly. Why, he asked. The answer was, because I wanted to show him the mystery fires were caused by the spirits. The exclamation mark was included. Uh, Who unfastened Alex Alex McDonald's cows? I did was the answer. Um, In one place, it seemed to... Oh, in one place, for example, it seemed as if my sister who had passed away on August 13th, 1912, was sending me a message. One sentence in the writing, which was followed, was, People must realize that those who have passed beyond are ever-present. God is merciful. God is good. He is just. And later, spirits do visit the earth after death. And it was followed by a farewell. Um, I'm going to keep on skipping ahead. He's Like I said, he loves to talk. Uh, he talks again. He had that same sensation about his hand and his chest. Here we go. In my opinion, the McDonald's are to be exonerated, which means that the unfastening of the cows, the mysterious fires, and my own strange experiences were caused by an unseen power, spirits. Yeah, Harold B. Whitten. That's the gist of, of his writing. So, sadly, even though Mary Ellen was taken away and... Uh, confined there for many years it probably wasn't her it was just acting through her there's something again about a girl going through puberty that can cause a spirit to attach itself to them and um yeah so yep mary ellen puberty and a poltergeist all just seem to check out but how about this next one kurt well this next one has a twist next up is a poltergeist of a different kind. A furry, perhaps cuddlier kind? The what? Well, for this one, we go back to 1931. To the autumn of 1931, to be exact, to Dorlish Cashin on the Isle of Man, where the Irving's farmhouse was. This one starts off like every other poltergeist story, I guess, where the uh, family starts hearing weird noises coming from their walls, like growls, barks, hissing. But then they add this. They also heard the crying of what sounded like a baby coming from inside the walls. But logically, except I guess for that last one, um, they just they just think, oh, it's rats. So, yeah, I can get that. You know, hear growls, maybe barks. Not really. Rats don't bark. Hissing, kind of maybe. But if you start hearing a baby crying from your walls, don't go, nah, must be just rats. So they did the whole, like, rats, uh, rat traps and bait and all that kind of fun stuff, but nothing was caught. End of the story? No, God, no. Of course, things got worse. And then worse. And then worse. And the sounds of a crying baby must have seemed pleasant compared to what they got next because whatever it was that's inside these walls of their house, by the way, started to mimic them. Then it seemed to learn speech by listening to them and repeating it and converse almost to them. Okay. Um, here's Kurt. Kurt, I know they're all dead, but here's my question to you. What does it take for you to knock a hole in your damn wall, people? You hear crying, baby? You don't knock a hole in your wall. Yeah, okay. Maybe you just hate babies. But then this crying baby thing starts to, like, mimic you and then talk, learn speech from you, and then talk to you? Knock a hole in your freaking walls. They said it actually made gurgling noises like a baby attempting to speak for the first time, and then it talked. Okay. So where's the girl with puberty, Kurt? Well, it's right freaking here, buddies. Right here. One member of the house, little 12-year-old Vwari. 
I don't know, it's Vori. V-O-I-R-R-E-Y. I'm going to say Vori. Being that she's from the Isle of Man, I'm sure, like, it's like, what are you, crazy? That's obviously how we spell Jennifer. But to me, it says Vori. So Vori started to recite nursery rhymes to it. That's right. She started to talk to it and then tell it nursery rhymes and asking the fucking thing in the wall to repeat the nursery rhymes back to her. And, yep, according to the Irving family, it did repeat the nursery rhymes back to her in a clear, high-pitched voice. So, then someone says, you know what, we should probably find out this thing in the wall's names. And they said, Jeff, Kurt here again, um, it's spelled a dumb way. It's spelled G-E-F. But it's kind of like, you know, GIF. Is it GIF or is it JIF? So I'm just going to say it's Jeff and not Geff. Uh, so anyhow, it says, yeah, yeah, my name's Jeff. And they went, oh, all right, that's cool. He goes, you know what? And they were like, what, Jeff in the walls being all creepy? He says, well, huh, I'm an extra clever mongoose. Yeah, no, no need to rewind that one. I said mongoose, an extra clever mongoose. He also said that he was, quote, an earthbound spirit and, quote, a ghost in the form of a mongoose. And once said, I am a freak. I have hands and I have feet. And if you saw me, you'd faint. You'd be petrified, mummified, turned into a stone or a pillar of salt. At the end of it, it kind of got into a rhythm of, like, grease lightning there. You'd be petrified? You'd be mummified. You'd be grease lightning. Uh, he said, you'd be petrified. You'd be mummified. You'd be turned into stone or a pillar of salt. Yeah, that's right. A fucking high-pitched talking mongoose named Jeff said all of that. Oh, shit gets weirder. Buckle up, baby. Chug some absinthe for this weird fucking story. So Jeff, he tells the family that he had been born in Delhi in 1852. Just as a reminder... This story took place in 1931. That's a 79-year talking mongoose from India named Jeff. That if you saw him, you'd be turned into a salt, a stone or a pillar of salt. Yeah. And get this. Jeff just didn't uh, hang out in the walls and learn nursery rhymes. Oh, no, no, no. He liked to gossip, too. He would travel around the Isle of Man listening to the neighbors and return to the Irving family har- farmhouse and kind of like do like a old-timey radio gossip storytelling time f- show for them, for the whole damn family. James, his wife Margaret, and Vwari, they would sit around, like kind of like, um, like, you know, it's village gossip time. He would read from the newspaper entertaining them at night kind of a thing, uh, which I got to admit, that would be entertaining. And he would, too. They said he would read to them from the newspaper, entertaining them at night, or he would tell them gossip from what was happening in other families' houses in the Isle of Man. You know what? For a second, I would say, because you got to remember, this is uh, 1931. It's kind of boring still. Not a shit Not a shit ton happening. You don't have, you don't got your phones. You don't got, uh, you can get the internets. No, you got a 79-year-old talking mongoose, though. That's got to be entertaining. After, obviously, after you stop screaming because a talking mongoose from India is telling you this stuff, like after that breaks your brain, you got to be like, well, this is kind of interesting. So he's telling us that uh, good old Maggie O'Shea from the, you know, two blocks down in the Isle of Man likes it in the pooper, that kind of stuff, like weird shit. So Jeff, um, he moves into the alcove. I don't know if he actually said that, by the way. That was just the first thing that that came to me. That would be the weirdest shit that a mongoose from India would say through walls. I don't know if he said that. I don't know anything about Maggie O'Shea. I apologize to her and her descendants. Um, So Jeff moves into an alcove above Wari's room that he calls his sanctum. Hey, you want this story to get worse? Okay. Jeff was often guilty of what he would call, quote-unquote, Devilment, including banging on the walls and keeping the family up all night with his, quote, satanic laughter. Yeah, it's going to get even weirder because it seems that Jeff could also shapeshift, too, because 
There is a story, a newspaper story, that one day, as James sat by the window, he spied, quote, a very large cat striped like a tiger. He says, we ourselves did not possess a cat. And I called Voiry to come look and come to the window to look at it. She did so and remarked on the size of the cat, but more especially the unusually large bulldog head that it had. So, you know, as you're supposed to do in these kind of situations, he immediately grabs his shotgun and goes to kill it, but he says he lost it as soon as he stepped outside. He said, The cat was a little ahead of me, but easily within range, and it turned through an open gateway into a grassy field. I was there a few seconds behind and fully expected to see the cat, but no cat could be seen. Look as I liked, the field was level and there was not a bush or any roughness where it could have hidden, and the hedges were all earth or sod hedges, as they were called. I detailed my experiences to my wife on her return that night when Jeff called out, Oh, it was me you saw, Jim. That should be, it should be higher pitched. Oh, maybe I'll do that in post. It was me you saw, Jim. Ha! 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 Oh, crazy, you, you, you crazy, Jeff. Um, Kurt here. This is where James should have picked up the shotgun and just shot Jeff straight in the face. But nope, nope, he didn't. So the Irvings made a bunch of weird, wacky shit claims about Jeff. Like, he supposedly guarded their house and informed them of the approach of guests or any unfamiliar dog. They said that if someone had forgotten to put out the fire at night, Jeff would go down and stop the stove. The Irvings claimed that Jeff would also wake people up when they overslept, so he's like a little alarm clock, and he would let them know whenever mice got into the house. Jeff supposedly assumed the role of a cat, though he preferred to scare them rather than kill the mice. Uh, the Irvings also said that they gave Jeff biscuits, chocolates, bananas, food, you know, basically was left for him in a saucer suspended from the ceiling, which he took when he thought no one was watching him. Uh, the Irvings claimed that the mongoose regularly accompanied them on trips to the market, but always stayed on the other side of hedges, chatting incessantly the entire time. Alrighty, so uh, Jeff being Jeff and, you know, all of his devilment, it went on like this for a while, and the family started talking about Jeff's menacing attitudes Jeff's threats, and, oh, I don't know, just stone-throwing. So much so that they decided for safety's sake to remove Voiry's bed and put it in their room. But when they started dismantling the bed, telling Jeff what they were doing, Jeff, who was behind the wainscot, said, he screamed, stormed, and threatened what he would do to us. The voice was absolutely full of malice, hatred, and spleen and he was striking the wainscot with his fist with the greatest violence. When the removal had been completed, in a high-pitched voice, fairly trembling with rage, he screamed out, I'll follow her wherever you move her. All right, so word got out around the village, because, you know, again, no one else has got shit to talk about other than this creepy fucking Jeff Mongoose thing. Uh, let's see, they said that uh, they could also he often hear Voiry talking to Jeff when she was out and about, but they couldn't see him because he was always, Jeff was always behind a wall or under a bush or out of sight. So someone went, hmm, hey, you know what? Jeff sounds like a freaking poltergeist or maybe a cobalt of some kind. So the family straight up asked him about it. And according to them, Jeff said, No. He said, I'm not like one of those claiming instead to be more like an Indian familiar. Kurt here, a djinn, basically. So, got it. Creepy, talking, mongoose, djinn named Jeff. Uh, let's see, after another bit, Jeff was mentioned in the local press under the headlines such as Man Weasel, Mystery Grips Island, Queerest Beast Talks to the Daily Dispatch Reporter. That's right, the reporter actually talked to the disembodied voice of Jeff. Then... After a year of this in 1932, psychic investigator Harry Price arranged for his colleague Harold Dennis to travel to Cashin's Gap to investigate the case. Harold said he conducted numerous interviews with the Irvings as well as with many local residents who had claimed to have uh, heard Jeff talking or had other kinds of weird encounters that they said must have been Jeff. The phrase that pays is Kurt's bad eye. Let me repeat that. The phrase that pays is Kurt's bad eye. 
Email paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. Subject, phrase that pays. In the body of the email, just write Kurt's bad eye. Spelling is not important, but Kurt is spelled with a C. Okay, so Jeff had been talking, like they, they, they talked to, the reporter talked to all these residents that they had heard Jeff or had weird encounters that they attributed to Jeff. And they said, hey, you know what? We got a sample of his hair. So they sent that down to the Zoological Society of London. They also had plaster casts that James, James Irving claimed to be of Jeff's teeth, Jeff's paws. Those were also sent to the Natural History for analysis. So the hair, it was identified as dog hair, likely from the Irving sheepdog. But the origins of the plaster imprints could not easily be determined by the National History Museum and the Zoological Society of London. They said that they did not match any known animals, although it was stated that they in no way resembled the paws or the teeth of a mongoose. So suck it, Jeff. You're even bad at being a mongoose. Um, Harold Dennis did say, though, that he he did hear disembodied voices. He said, we, Dennis and the Irvings, Sat and talked about uh, talked until just about 11.45 p.m., and as nothing had taken place, I suggested maybe take my way back to Glen May. Just as I had shut the door of the house, we heard a very shrill voice from inside scream out, Go away! Who is that man? Mr. Irving gripped my arms and said, That's Jeff. He also reported objects being moved or being thrown violently around the house. He said, Shrill screams accompanied by terrific knocking, loud bangs emanated from all parts of the house in quick succession, as if the perpetrator moved with lightning speed. The bangs appeared to come from the roof, Mr. and Mrs. Irving's room, over the kitchen, and on the staircase at lightning fast speed. The noises continued for about 15 minutes, culminating with tremendous bangs as if something had been thrown with great violence upstairs. So we went again to Voiry's room, and we found that a heavy chair, which Mrs. Irving had put on the staircase covering, on the staircase covering, had been flung from its place and fallen partly on the bed and partly on the chest of drawers. Voiry, who was awake, said, Oh, it's only some more of Jeff's tricks, but did not appear at all perturbed. Uh, so it said, you know, like, you know, Voiry was at the center when any kind of violent activity seemed to happen, when they ran into the room, yep, she would be there. But he did say that the uh, running around in quick succession all over the house, he said, was faster than a human could have gotten through the house. All righty, so let's continue on with this one. Let's wrap this up. So Jeff hung around until about 1940, when Margaret, Margaret and Voiry eventually left the farmhouse in 1945, following James Irving, Irving's death. Now, I couldn't find out what he died from, so I'm just going to assume that a mongoose shot him in the face. Uh, then the following year, the new owner of the house, actor Leslie Graham, claimed to have shot Jeff, but pictures of the dead animal showed it to be a black, a large black and white creature. Upon seeing the pictures, Vari was adamant that the thing that Graham had shot was not Jeff. It's just some other kind of mongoosey thing, I guess. All right. Fast forward. All the way from 1945 to 2005. That's when Vary Vary Irving died. That's right. She lived till 2005. Throughout her life, it's said that she shied away from any public spectacles about her time with Jeff, but always insisted that Jeff was real and the case of the Dolby spook, as it became to be known, and not the case of the talking, scary fucking mongoose, uh, the case of the... Dolby Spooks was not a hoax. Alrighty, let me just give a skeptics a couple of seconds here. Uh, skeptics, like an Isle of Man examiner reporter, wrote that when he caught the girl making noises, her father tried to convince him the sound came from somewhere else. Strike one. According to Joe Nickel, researchers have suspected that Vari Vari used ventriloquism and other tricks, quote, the effects of which were hyped by family members reporters in search of a story, and credulous paranormalists. That's me, Kurt Sandvig, a credulous paranormalist. I don't know what to think of that one. That had a lot of shit in there. But this one reporter doesn't seem to be credulous or in search of a story. 
he said that it was happening too quickly to be her, but it does seem again to be connected to her. So yeah, she probably was involved, just like every girl is involved with every one of these poltergeist stories I ever tell you guys. Um, but that one had a lot, right? That had a lot. A talking mongoose from India from 79 years old, uh, years ago, uh, named Jeff, probably a djinn. All right. I don't know if they would know about that kind of stuff back in the day. Nowadays, you can just look it up online and be like, what weird shit should I talk about, Reddit? And they'll give you like, you know what you should talk about? You should talk about a djinn that's in the shape of a fucking uh, mongoose from India, from Delhi, back in the day. Yeah, do that. I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah. Told you it was a weird one. No idea what to make of Jeff. But uh, sadly, I can't interview Jeff or Vori as uh, he seems to have gone quiet. But if you happen to hear um, something in your walls or attic tonight... It's not just a rat. Oh, I got to start that over. I, I, I talk way too long, Kurt. Come on. If you happen to hear something in your walls or your attic tonight, I think that's where I left off. That's what I was saying. Um, It's not a rat. It's just an extra clever mongoose. With your host. Oh, Kurt. no, I, I, I can't do that. Um, It's an extra clever mongoose. There we go. Uh, that would have been so much better. I'm going to try that again. Hold on. Uh, if you happen to hear something in your walls or your attic tonight, it's not just a rat. It's just an extra clever mongoose. All right. That, that sounds good. Um, so, yeah, it's a weird one. Um, you know, as the kids like to call it, just an earthbound spirit, just a ghost in the form of a mongoose. Just a freak with With hands. Oh, nope. Got it. Not not yet. All right. Now, Kurt, go now. All right. Yeah. Okay. We're good now. Just a freak with hands and feet that, oh, I don't know. If you saw it, you'd faint. You'd be petrified, mummified, turned into a stone or a pillar of salt or a rat. I don't know. I'm not an exterminator, but I mean, I don't know what the hell it is, but weird fucking stories, right? Once again, I hope you enjoyed this one. I'm your one-eyed host, Kurt Sandvig. It's been another episode of Paranormal Almanac. Look, 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 look